worried that you might be the cool kid You wear the latest fashions on top of all the trends Or have you ever worried you were too much in the mainstream Always so generic, more normal than your friends Well, we've devised a test to put to rest your fears There's no need to panic if you lend us your ears Tonight you can't sleep easy after all that you've heard Cause if you like the show, then you're probably a nerd Okay, it's getting it's on Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the It's Canon Podcast. That's right. It's time for a featured episode of the week. And boy, oh boy, do we have a fun one this week. We're your hosts. I'm Boris. And this week, I am joined by the one, the only, the guy who needs to figure out his technology, Bill. Hello, everybody. How you doing tonight? Today, this fine day, we're coming at you with a great interview, as Boris mentioned, and it is so fantastic to be here. Awesome. That's right. So today, we are going to be talking all things Star Wars, all things comics, all things issues, Zero Presents, Mud 79, with the one, the only, Fearless Fred, Fred Kennedy, however you know him. You're going to know him better after this interview because it was a fun interview. We get, you know, we kind of get into a few fun topics. We talk Star Wars, we talk comics, but we really talk a lot about Mud 79, you know, his radio podcast. Um, and we kind of explore where the idea came from, you know, how he like a lot of other people are trying to explore, you know, the gray areas of the Star Wars universe. And it's a really fun chat. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? The the gray areas in Star Wars are what everyone kind of craves, I think. It, it's, it's the whole aspect of what the Mandalorian is doing uh, in showing what the actual universe is like when there maybe isn't this, you know, good versus evil shine on it. It it really dives deep. And that's what Mud 79 accomplishes. And, you know, Fred here walks the walk and talks the talk. Not only does he, he muse about stuff like this, he also creates in it. Exactly. That's exactly it. So we have that interview coming up in a little bit. Phil, one thing that we have to question ourselves on is recording a podcast after a evening of beverages. Oh, yeah. That's, um, I, I, I think that, um, it's very dangerous sometimes on a recording schedule on a Sunday, especially morning, <laughs> to, to deal with sometimes the side effects of the night before, or maybe even that early morning. <laughs> I think, uh, I'm feeling definitely much older, and I do not uh, partake as ha- as heavily as maybe some of our people on the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, but I was hurt. I think you're pretty rough on Sunday there, and uh, 
you know, thankfully Carl uh, did a great job as well in being my co-host. <laughs> hey, it happens. Yeah, it happens, man. You showed up <laughs> and you hit the record button. I pulled yeah. a Danny Dickio showing up to training incident. Yeah, it, it, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, I, you could tell because Boris and I video chat. And uh, and we ensure we we ask the 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 participants if they're comfortable they can, um, so it's just so we could read the cues. And I know reading Boris's cue is last night was a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> Slash this morning. Yeah. So those are the challenges of podcasting. Sometimes the podcast schedule comes after you. You don't go after it. <laughs> And you know what? I love the fact that, like, I was taking a look at my schedule. You know, we have our Sunday all-news show. We have our Wednesday feature episode. We have NXT talk on Thursday. That's starting to get a pretty full schedule. So, why not? Let's add another show. Let's do our our Mando Monday. You know, where we talk all things Mandalorian from the previous week. So now we're releasing four shows in one week. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. But the great thing is, is that we like to do hot takes. We like to do, we don't go in and do a ton of post-processing unless it's needed. Uh, Because we want people to actually get to know who we are as hosts and, and presenters of this information and our dynamic and our humor. And I think that, you know, that's selling ourselves in a lot of ways, but in that good way. Um, but really, it's... Uh, you saw my face. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it ends up with a product that doesn't require a ton of post-production. So what you guys hear out there is pretty much what the mics are picking up. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. And it just and by that, I just mean to, to round it out is that we don't have to put in extra time to make these things happen as much as, you know, just the regular stuff that's needed. The uploads, the the, the synopsis, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, doing four a week, yeah, it's kind of insane. I only have to do three, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a good time to spend spare time. And it breaks up our day, as I'm sure, as a listener, you guys are able to... to to listen in on something that's getting your mind off of what we're all going through in this 2020. And I think that that has benefits for both of us producing and, and everybody listening. Exactly. So I think it's time to announce to the to all of our listeners, new and old, what our plan is for Christmas, the holiday season. Last week, Phil and I were um, messaging back and forth, talking about the show. You know, one of the things that I've kind of been trying to chat with Tyler and Philip about is the future of the show. You know, what our what is our expectations? What do we want from the show? What do we expect to get from the show? Um, and you know, we have our ideas, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. I want to make sure that you know, no one feels quote unquote overworked. No one feels underappreciated. So I just check in and I want to make sure that we're on the same page. Um, 
And one of the things is kind of, you know, getting as much content out there as possible. And we know from experiences, from listening to other podcasts, the holiday season, Christmas season is a bit of a downswing for a lot of podcasts. So we were thinking, what can we do? So Phil and I decided, hey, why don't we have the 12 days of Christmas That's right, we're going to be producing 12 shows, 12 days, all leading up and ending on Christmas Day. Yep, it's insane, but let's just face it, we're all stuck indoors, and it's going to be fun. It's going to give us content every day, and it's going to give you something to listen to every day, and something to tweet at us about, or get in our social media feeds, and be like, you guys are crazy. What the hell is going on? But, yeah, I can't be with my family anyway. So, (laughs) may as well be you two. And Tyler as well. Tyler agreed. He did agree. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. It's not going to be full two-hour episodes, hour-and-a-half episodes. We're going to do, you know, just a little conversation. We're planning to review a series, a season or a full series on, you know, those 12 days. Um. Yeah. I think I know which one we're going to choose. And it's kind of a series that we never talk about. So stay tuned. Yep. We'll talk more about that as it approaches. But we will have the 12 days of Christmas all leading up to Christmas Day. And if you have a suggestion out there about what might be a good, you know, 8 to 10 episode story arc or season to invest as a show in, We'd like to hear from you when you start seeing this popping up on our social feeds about the 12 days of Christmas because everything is in play until we actually start. Yep. I'm just going to say that. Now, I like where Boris is going. He's tipped me off to what potentially one of the shows could be. But ever since he's done that, I keep on – then my creative brain starts kicking in and going, or we could do this, or we could do this. And I'm just thinking our listeners – might be sitting there going, oh, you know what? You guys really need to do this, and it's going to be really uncomfortable for you. (laughs) And that's the thing. We're not going to pick something that we will love. I want to pick something that both of us, or the three of us, haven't seen, and that we can have a half-hour podcast about. Yeah, and that, you know, we're not going to be as all-in and sweaty on it as far as our our nerdism. All right, so it's going to be something outside of our comfort zone. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be watching, like, you know, Muppet Babies or something like that, because that would be in my wheelhouse anyway. But <laughs> Same here. But you know what I mean? It's still going to be geekdom, right? It's still yep. going to be sci-fi or fantasy or, you know, something something in our, in our pocket, our range here. Yep. And also, as some people may have seen on Twitter and have already responded to me, We are, on Mondays, doing a weekly Mandalorian wrap-up review analysis. Um, And every week, we're hoping to have a special guest. And we're opening this up to you, the listener. So if you want to be a part of our Mandalorian review, just send us a DM. Send us an email. Phil will tell you how later. um, And just let us know that you're interested, and we'll schedule you in. Yeah. It'd be great. I, I'm I'm excited to have, you know, it's always fun having a guest on the show, as we did tonight, uh, or today on this episode, with with Fearless Fred, 
um, it's always fun and dynamic to have somebody and their insight and expertise into things and it doesn't all it it certainly doesn't have to agree with us like nobody has to agree with us and we oftentimes disagree with one another as you all know and that's kind of the key to a good a good show is, is just having that tension there and that understanding and know that everybody's reasonable in the room and we're gonna try and see each other's point of view and you know it could expand your point of view so yeah I think it's great. Um, I'm hoping that we get some great, great people joining in. Yep. So without further ado, you don't want to listen to me and Phil talk about the backs, backstage stuff, the off-air stuff, but we always like to give you an update. But without further ado, here he is, the one, the only, Fearless Fred, Fred Kennedy. And now we are joined with a very special guest, a guest that Phil and I had on our bucket, lit, bucket list of guests, a guest that we are so honored to have on our little podcast that is, and that is Fearless Fred, Fred Kennedy. For those of you who don't know him, you probably do know him if you've listened to the radio <laughs> here in Toronto, if you've listened to his podcast, Mud79, if you've read some comics over the years, you probably know him. But Fred, thank you so much for being on. Anytime, man. Anytime. I'm glad to be here. We are glad to have you on. Like I said, um, yeah, Phil and I, when we were talking about the, you know, bringing back the show, one of the things is we got to have Fearless Fred on. Um, and here we are, six months to the day that we brought back the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad to be here for it, man. That's awesome. awesome. And yeah, and, and that's no bullcrap either because I did say to Boris, unfortunately, we're not all able to sit in the studio and have a beer together which was my ultimate goal yeah <laughs> but um you know just as a, as a huge star wars and you know nerdy geek fan whatever of this whole culture that we have it it's been a real real uh, uh goal to have you on this but as well um it just it, i feel like it's almost not fair because i feel like i know you yeah, if you know what I mean, because of your radio personality, because of years listening to, you know, Edge 102 and Q107, and you, you've always been there in my head. So I think in the best way, be in the best way. Yeah, I, I think that must be a challenge for you, like the actual it, guy with all. That. Uh, it can be weird um, at times, yeah, but you know that's that's what you sign on for, and it's and it's it's more weird because I'm very open about everything, like. I grew up, uh, I was a huge Stern fan. I used to listen to Howard Stern on the internet in like the early, like in the very beginning of like when you could get access to the internet. We had a library uh, computer in high school in like 95 and you could listen to Stern's show streaming. Um, and I would listen to it then and I was in the high school radio club and I always wanted to be on the air and uh, he always used to talk about, and he talked about this in the book Private Parts too, that all of the best subject matter he had came from his personal life. And so I always had that mentality in my head that that's my, my me is going to be a source for content for the show. And it's great. And I think that, that content is really relatable, but you can also create a, a situation where people think that aspect of yourself that you're bringing on the air is you all the time. When that's just not how it is. You know, it's like you're not that person all the time. 
Yeah. You got to shut it off. Yeah, I know a few radio personalities who kind of have this issue. You know, they have a bit of a character on air, um, and just people mm -hmm. make the assumption that that's them 24-7. They kind of forget that. You know, the radio is a form of entertainment. You know, being on the air for three to five hours a day, you know, you have to do something to keep yourself entertained. So, you know, yes. and, and why not, right? Absolutely. You know, and... For me personally, one thing that, you know, that I really followed a lot was kind of through all of your social media and the radio was your diet regimen. And more importantly, when you did the 24 hour charity walk, you know, that was oh. awesome. You know, I really appreciated that. Um, it's really cool that, you know, these are the things that people want to see from personalities, especially right now that the world is. You know, what's so wild is we're supposed to do another 24-hour walk um about a week after the, the the world shut down like there was the big massive shutdown for covid yep. and when that happened we were in the planning stages of the next walk and when it was like the end of march was when it was going to happen and we had everything booked we had all our sponsors set up and we were actually promoting it on the air and then we had to cancel it because yeah. of COVID, which is, which is frustrating because a lot of work goes into it. A lot of other moving parts, like um, the Bud 79 thing, the podcast that I'm doing, I was talking about that last year yeah. during the 24-hour walk because we actually, when I was doing it, I watched that Ken Burns documentary series, The Vietnam War. I watched like six episodes during, when they're all two hours long each, but yeah. you're on a treadmill for 24 hours. You're not doing anything else. Yeah. So I watched like six episodes of it, and I was always saying, like, it'd be so wild to do a story with this type of tone in the Star Wars universe. You know, there's so much you could learn from it because it's so untapped, and there's so many elements of Star Wars that have never truly been, like, brought into light because it feels like when you look at The Mandalorian right now, everyone talks about how is it that nobody knows that baby Yoda is like, looks like Yoda. And for anybody that's not like knee deep in star Wars, you've got to explain, dude, the galactic, the galactic Republic or the empire itself is trillions of people. And there's like 10,000 Jedi. Most people will never see a Jedi ever, you know, yep. at all ever. So for most people that in the galaxy of star Wars, they would never know who or what Yoda is. Exactly. So that, that was, it all ties back into that walk, man. Everything. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So, you know, we've already touched a little bit on Star Wars. It's all known. You are a Star Wars geek like Phil and myself. And all the cool people, all the cool kids are Star Wars geeks. Um, so if you haven't watched Star Wars, shame on you and watch it. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, the, your history in geekdom. Um, you know, I obviously knew you from the radio but i saw on facebook years ago that one of my friends from elementary school adam gorham um and you teamed up to create a comic book um yeah man Tutaton. how many years ago that was, was that how did that come about and yeah let's chat a little about that um it started well before moving to toronto i had done a bunch of 24-hour comic book challenges and i was in the process of working on a comic with a friend out there um and it was it was a pretty ridiculous concept we were going to take the worst people of, from the history of the world and we were going to make them into superheroes but they were all the versions of themselves from other dimensions where they were really good 
Uh, and to be honest, I'm kind of glad we never did that because it would have been ridiculous. But when I moved to Toronto, I was trying to get into the comic book scene here. Mm-hmm. And I was on air. And if, on my very first set of station photos, I was wearing uh, a Blue Lantern shirt. And this was when, uh, you know, the the whole Black Lantern storyline was happening yep. in Green Lantern. This was when Green Lantern was the biggest comic on the shelves, which is yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. And <laughs> I was wearing that shirt, and Adam actually messaged me to, like, just, he emailed me asking if I would help promote this book that he had done called The Vampire Conspiracies, which was one of his first comics that he ever did. Yep. And I was like, for sure, but do you want to do a comic? And he goes, yes. And that's literally how it started. It was just an email exchange. And we met up for coffee. And I think the first time we had coffee, we watched Conan the Barbarian. No, we watched Highlander. And then we like were chatting and I was like dropping these aspects of this idea that I had. And then that was where Teuton came from. And then we did it. We decided after we did one issue and then we decided the next year, let's do a full trade. And then we decided we're going to do a trade each year and then we're going to finish the whole series. So that was the process of it. And when I finished Teuton, Adam was like, Adam's like a monster. He's just a monster talent. Like when I say monster, I mean like he's a great guy, but a monster talent. And I knew that. I wasn't going to get to work with Adam on anything for a while, aside from like shorts here and there. Yeah. So I needed to find something new. And that's when I started doing the fourth planet and the fourth planet was like a sci-fi story for anyone that hasn't read it. And it was, uh, this shipload of human slaves crash on a planet with three warring alien races. And the most advanced of them has just begun using gunpowder. And I drew on some historical aspects of it, like when the conquistadors came to Brazil, specifically that. Um, And also, there's a point in human history, like going way back, because I wanted to be a paleoanthropologist, like study human evolution. And there was this point in, like, the the primordial history of human humanity that there were actually three types of hominids competing. And there was one that was really large and strong, and there was one that was very tall and quick, and then there was one that was just like like a jack-of-all-trades. They they weren't as lanky and thin and fast as the tall ones, but they weren't as big and strong as the big, massive ones either. But they were just very adaptable, and that, that species went on to become humanity. Like, so I, I thought... Earth is unique in that there's really only one dominant species here. What if there was a planet with three? How would that work? And so that was kind of the inception of yeah. uh, the fourth planet. So I got to say... Which kind was, of... Sorry. Go on. I was gonna actually going to say, it's kind of funny, because as I'm watching the HBO Max show Raised by Wolves, I'm like... I've seen certain aspects of this somewhere, and then I was looking through like some old comics because I'm trying to clean up all you know my whole collection. And then lo and behold, I pick up the Fourth Planet that I had from like 2014. And I'm like, this is this is the one. There's certain aspects that kind of just reminded me of the Fourth Planet from Raised by Wolves. That's like Miko. Miko's just oh god, he's phenomenal. Oh, th- um, yeah, that art is, is amazing. Yeah. 
you know, it's wild is the process of finding that artist. I, uh, I put out a call on social media just saying, like, you know, here's a script for one page. I don't want any notes. I don't want to talk, like, have a back and forth. Just send me uh, a, a page. That's it. And then we'll go from there. And what's wild is that I had these very specific instructions for the visuals. Miko did none of that. He threw everything I had out. But what he gave me was just perfect. And I was like, you were the one. And we had met Miko. We actually tabled beside Miko a few years prior mm -hmm. um, at Fan Expo. And we just were talking. And when he asked if he could, like, submit art for it, I was kind of taken back because I was like, you're too good and yeah. I can't afford to do this with you. But then we came to an agreement money-wise and that was that. And we started doing the fourth plan. And I'm actually kind of in talks with him to do something else. We have a plan to do something um, built around the Siege of Vienna in 1683. Ooh. But we're going to do our own little spin on it. I don't know if you've ever read about the Siege of Vienna in 1683, but it's a very, like, the Battle of Gondor, like, that is that is the Siege of Vienna, like, yeah. 100%. It features the largest cavalry charge in human history. It's a really fascinating story, and what's what is very frustrating about it, for anybody who goes to read about it or anything right now, um, there's this weird, like, neo-Islamophobia neo-crusader mentality that gets kind of brushed on it and it's it's very um disingenuine compared to the actual history of the event uh people have painted at this at, and and you find a lot of uh contemporary older contemporary versions of it too that painted as as like Muslims bad, trying to invade, kill everybody. Yeah. Christians good, having to defend the the women and children. And but that's so oversimplified and blatantly inaccurate. Yeah. Um, but it's a like a stat. All that aside, that's just me tempering it for anybody who goes and reads it and is like, Fred's like a pretty pretty Islamophobic kind of guy. I don't know if I like that guy. Like no, <laughs> I, I, it's if you look beyond. There's a great book called uh, Enemy at the Gates. Uh, not the the movie about the yeah, siege of Stalingrad, but uh, it's called Enemy at the Gates or Enemy at the Gate, and it is a phenomenal book written by this French guy. Um, I forget his name right now, but it's it's such a massive, incredible breakdown of the ins and outs of the social impacts and the makeups of the army and the motivations of all the very colorful characters from history involved and. Yeah, it's a fascinating book for anybody who wants to read it. That's awesome. You know, one thing, you know, as we're talking about comics, and I always reflect this, like a few weeks ago we were talking with Jim Zub, um, and it, it reminded me yet again now talking with you just how huge the talent pool is of comic creators here in Toronto. Like, I feel like we're so lucky sometimes, and we take that for advantage, but just the amount of raw talent here. You can find artists, you can find letters, you can find um, writers, you know, just... A, there's just so much great talent here in the city. There's actually uh, an, an editor, I forget who they were, but they were talking about that at a panel in a Fan Expo a few years ago. That, and this is going to sound weird, but it's true. They said one of the big drawing points for Canadian talent is that we have public health care. 
And mm. they know that if a if an artist or a writer in Toronto or Canada gets sick, they'll get to a doctor and they'll get fixed right away, and it won't like it won't throw a wrench into the works. And I know that sounds silly, it but legitimately sense. that is a reason why there's so many creators from Toronto that are, are huge names. Yeah, I know. To me, that makes sense. Like, Healthy yeah. workforce is a good workforce. It's a great workforce. <laughs> All right. So we're going to fast forward a little bit to your podcasts. Phil, do you have any questions? Well, I guess, first off, the podcast is Issue Zero. Um, yeah, that's, that's the kind of like a weird thing. It's Issue Zero is yeah. the podcast. And when I was doing like scripted breakdowns of questions like, is Conan really a barbarian? Uh, who is the real villain of the Avengers? Um, what is a Mandalorian? And all those things. But and I, and I liked doing it, but it's just, as a listener, I, I get frustrated when someone's just hammering their opinions on me. And so I told the, my, my producer, I was like, I have an idea for a story, and I should just do a radio play. And <laughs> I sold her on the idea. And I always make fun of my producer on my podcast. If you've ever listened, I always call her oh, the yeah. contemptible harpy all the time. <laughs> if anybody else makes fun of her, it makes me really upset because she's phenomenally talented. Her name's Dila, and she's incredible, and I love her. And I know that the show wouldn't sound as good without her. That's me making fun of her. She has a huge role and has been an incredible source of guidance for me. So no one else gets to make fun of my contemptible harpy of a producer but me. Period. End of story. Uh, but I sold her on the idea, and she was she was very. You do realize how much work this is, right? And of course, I didn't. But I said I did. So then I started doing uh, Mud Seventy Nine. So it's Issue Zero presents Mud Seventy Nine. There you go. That's the best yeah. way to explain it. Because I know when we're on the internet, it, it's just there's a lot of the Mud Seventy Nine and the hashtag. And I got to say, you know, like you had me from day one. Um, and I don't know that I've really participated personally in a lot of fan fiction kind of stuff, but immediately I was struck by your production values and just actually how different the story is and still Star Wars. Yeah. Can you, you know, and, and you actually have people voicing roles in it, which I only find on a very small subset of audiobooks because I read or listen to mostly Star Wars audiobooks and they yeah. just basically have one dude trying to mimic every voice so i found that that was really refreshing can you talk about the decision process behind actually coming to this format and um, trying to attempt it it's funny you bring up star wars audiobooks because it was the heir to the empire audiobook that solidified the decision in my head that i would not do all the voices uh, because the scene where the guy is talking, when Leia is talking to the babies in her stomach using the force, and it's this dude doing a woman's voice saying, I love you, little one. It just, it's like it took me right out of the story, and I decided right there not doing that. So I am fortunate in what I do. I know a lot of people that can do voice work. And so the biggest hiccup in the process of finding the voices was, I knew that I wanted the lieutenant of the platoon, the platoon commander, to be a clone. Um, and that's because I just love the clones from the Clone Wars. And you've got 
millions of these. There was at the end of the Clone Wars, there was close to two million clones still in active service. So they don't just disappear. But then again, you're talking about the scale of the Imperial military. The vast majority of the soldiers fighting in the Clone Wars weren't weren't clones. Um, so they would get redistributed in the Imperial military structure. And I wanted this throwback because I wanted him to have that, you know, if you read a lot of Vietnam War memoirs, there are always these teenagers that talk about their Marine sergeants that fought at Guadalcanal and you did you didn't even look at that guy sideways. He was at Guadalcanal. He's godlike. And I wanted that sense in the story of this wily veteran character that could really add a salted dynamic to the characters that we have that are predominantly all young and stupid, you know? <laughs> As, as their shore leave chapter showed us about yes. some of the decisions that they make. Um, that, which I, that was I, a, sorry, go on. Oh, no, you go ahead. No, I, that chapter has, some people did not like it because they felt it took them out of what was going on. But if you listen to the, brand, the newest episode, which came out last week, it, that, the newest episode would not have hit the same way if it had not been for episodes five and six where you really see these soldiers as kids which is what they are and you needed a chapter like that where yeah they're not grown-ups they're young and stupid you know and yeah, that's what we did with the chapter i really think that it helps for me i i understand that some people could object to it in some way but i i found that it really enriched exactly what you say about the next chapter because you have those those tendrils linking things and that yeah. substance of story was there and even though it was a different pace I still think it was a fascinating glimpse into how the Imperials go out and relax in your mind you know what I mean in, in every fan's mind because there's not a lot of exploration on that side of things it's like you wake up you do your thing you go to bed you don't think well, about shore leave you don't think about these experiences well up until Rogue One we all looked at the at the rebels as like, well, the rebels, every rebel, everybody in the rebellion is just this paragon of virtue, and they never do anything wrong, and they're all really good. And then in Rogue One, you get to see um, Cassian Andor shoot a guy in the back after he gives him intelligence, after he tells him he's going to get him out of there. He kills him because they can't have this guy get captured by the Empire and reveal what they know. Then you meet, and so you're like, ooh, this guy's a badass. And then you meet Saw Gerrera. And Saw Gerrera is even worse. And without him, without his unbelievably harsh cutthroat mentality or, like, capabilities, the rebels would have failed. And so you get a sense of the levels there are. And the more reading I did about the imperial structure was the, the empire was one flag, but it was multiple factions underneath the flag. Like, you've got, um, you've got, uh, Grand Moff, uh, Thrawn, Grand Admiral Thrawn, sorry. Um, he's in charge of his own sector of space. And that was the structure that was employed in multiple areas. And so I envisioned these different areas being very different than the others. 
depending on who was in charge and the administrative process that was there. And so in doing that, I could create a segment of the empire where the empire were viewed as saviors. Because when you watch Rebels and you watch the Clone Wars, all of these awful things that we associate with the Empire were also happening under the watch of the Republic. And you see how corrupt and incapable the Republic is. And it's similar to Rome where there was so much corruption and bureaucracy that the people were willing to wipe it all clean and just let's give this a go. And in the very beginning of Mud, you've got this main character who talks about how, when I was 17, I joined the Empire. And then you're like, immediately you know who he is. And mm -hmm. he just explains, like, I didn't have these opportunities. You can judge me, but I didn't have all these opportunities. This was it for me. And if not for the Republic, which became the Empire, my entire family would have been enslaved. So, of course, I fought for them. Why wouldn't I? And if somebody listens to someone explain that, uh, and, and they still question his motivations, I think you're coming at that standpoint from a place of severe privilege and not understanding that not everybody has the same options, you know? And when no. you watch Ken Burns' documentary, um, The Vietnam War, so many of these guys volunteered because they felt that it was their duty. Like, they owed everything to the United States. They were swept up in this idea of rah, 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 let's do it. And that was what I wanted to convey. So when you listen to all the characters talk, all of them come from these places where, what else was I going to do? Like the one character statement, she's very blunt that, my family lost everything because we got ripped off and we were being harassed by raiders and I just wanted to get away. So she joins the, she joins the empire. And, and to me, that's a, that's an interesting way of looking at it. You know? Yeah. Well, a, it reminds me of Claudia Gray in like lost stars, right? Hmm. Where she kind of humanized the empire and she kind of offered both sides of the story for both sides of the, of the blade on that one. Yeah, uh, I think that was one of the big lures, you know, for a kid's book. It stands out to me as one of the better Star Wars, especially in the new Disney canon. Yeah, and I'm I'm really I'm really stoked about the fan reaction that I've been getting from the story so far, because I honestly expected to have to uh, diffuse a lot of oh, the Empire's Nazi Germany and your glorifying Nazis, and I'm like, oh, well, no, but that's not what I'm doing. And I, I've talked about this too, uh, that the more reading I do on the Empire and their military structure, the less and less I think about them as the Third Reich, and the more and more I think about them as the Red Army. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've done much reading about, like, the military structure of the Soviet Army, but very similar to the way the yeah. empire works yeah i did back in the day now one thing about the, you know this discussion that always you know intrigues me and the fan reaction the positive fan reaction that you're probably getting is that you know i'm 
bored of the regular Star Wars stories, good versus bad, good rebels, bad empire. You know, I'm a fan of the personification, the humanizing of the various characters, whether it be the Empire or even the Jedi themselves. You know, there's a lot of stories to be told about the Jedi. They weren't all virtuous 100% of the time. You know, the Empire, they weren't all evil 100% of the time. You know, there's a lot of gray. And what I'm finding now that we are leaving, you know, the storytelling of the Skywalkers is that we're finally exploring a lot of these gray areas and we're kind of seeing the similarities between the world of Star Wars and our own world. Yeah, the... um... I was initially not going to have anything to do with any Jedi or the Force at all in the story. Yeah. Like, that was initially what I wanted to do, but uh, if you've been listening, we introduced a character who's a Sith Inquisitor, and I was familiar with Inquisitors from Rebels, Yeah. Mm-hmm. and I, I really I really liked the Inquisitor characters, um, but... Not enough that I would want to include them. I actually decided to bring an Inquisitor in because I found them so fascinating after playing uh, Fallen Order. Yep. Which yeah. I, w- I wasn't the biggest fan of the game. Like, Same we can here. talk about that as a game structure. But I loved the story of the game. And I loved the characters. And the sisters. I thought they were so great. Yeah. And the, the idea to me that an Inquisitor is a Padawan or a Force-sensitive or even a low-level Jedi that has been twisted with torture and brainwashing and has been turned into this, like, like a mad dog of the Force. I was like, that is something I can play with. And I liken Inquisitors to Jet Li's character in Unleashed. Yes. Where they've got the collar on. And once you get them in a position where they can let loose, they take it off. But how how messed up? Like, we want to talk about, like, making this a dirty world, like a dirty, realistic Star Wars creation. Like, how messed up and how much trauma would one of them have to be carrying? And if they're carrying all that trauma, pain, and anger, wouldn't that make them far more powerful with the dark side while at the same time being conflicted about using it? And so in episode eight, we do something with Star Wars that I've always been confused that's never been done, where we make it almost a horror story where – Let's just say you walk into a room after one of those Inquisitors has been unleashed. What would that look like? Like, just in that, like, we, we got a taste of it in Rogue One in the yeah. hallway. Yeah. But Darth Vader is a, is a Sith. Like, he is a trained, he's in control. He wasn't broken. He went that way. Yeah. What if they were broken and borderline insane? What would <laughs> yeah. happen then? So that's something we play with a lot. And we, dude, I wish I could tell you what's coming because I'm, I'm writing the big grand finale right now. And like, I wish to God that like John Favreau hears it, calls me up and just (laughs) says, we're going to make this because in my head, I'm like, the visuals are so good. Like, ah, I'm stoked. I'm really enjoying writing it. 
That's I don't awesome. know if you can tell that by my enthusiasm. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm loving every second of it. That's awesome. Have you thought about – I'm just curious because I know in listening to how you're pacing this thing out and, and, and you're coming up to the finale by the sounds of the writing of it, have you thought about next steps? Like is it going to involve the same characters? Is it going to be yes. the same time frame? Or is it going to be you visiting other areas of Star Wars? So here's the plan. Um, the plan is is that the end of the first act is going to happen after episode 12. That's when the first act is done. And it will be a very clear ending of the act. And then there's going to be a second act, which is going to be another 12 episodes, which is going to involve the changed campaign. And then the third act is going to be the Empire doing what the Empire does. And you're going to be left with this. People dump on The Last Jedi a lot. Um, and I didn't really particularly like it. And I think there's a lot of really schlocky moments. Yep. But I think there's also some brilliant ideas and some unreal, fantastic takes on the Star Wars galaxy. And that one scene with Benicio Del Toro being like, these guys make weapons for both sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the end of the story, you're not going to be left thinking that the Empire is evil, and you're not going to be left thinking that the rebels are good. You're going to be left thinking that it's Star Wars, like our own world, is very much uh, the rich convince the poor to do what they want and infuse them with ideals and paint their own prophets with philosophy to engage us. And I have toyed with the idea of doing a companion piece. Like, I've planned this out for five years, guys. I don't worry, i got lots of material. (laughs) Um, But I've also planned this idea out where what happens so... Overall, my plan is, you know, let's just say Solomon Kwai lives. And, or somebody else in the platoon lives. And then they settle there on Seston 4. And then, 25, 27 years later, the Empire collapses. And the Rebels take that planet back. I want to have a duality story where someone's kid is now around the same age and volunteers with an imperial loyalist group to defend the planet from these rebels that are trying to conquer it. Because I think that would be really cool. Yeah. And and I think it would be a really neat switch because you always look – I mean, we always talk about uh, colonial tropes in fantasy and sci-fi because exactly. they're everywhere. Yep. Um, but I think that we have this – this this idea that the empire is always they're always the colonial bad guys, but what if the rebels are the colonial bad guys? Like, what if there's some planets <laughs> that were like that were like toilets before the empire rose, and then when the empire came, they like because that's the thing is like the empire was all about regulating everything. Yep. And what if they like they stopped rampant slavery and. The people that lived there still remember a time when slavers were attacking the trade routes and were attacking everything. So you would have a lot of people that would be like, things have been so good. Why would you want to go back to that? Yeah. We saw a little bit of this in Clone Wars. Not so much of the, we don't want, you know, we don't want to take part with the Republic, but it was more of, you know, we 
we want things to stay the way they are while the both sides are yeah. trying to convince them what's better. So, you know, this aspect of the story is something that I would love for you to like play out and actually see and, you know, get again, seeing that the world is not just black and white, there's a lot of gray. Yeah, man. Well, if if it starts making me money, it'll be a lot easier for me to find more time to do it. Exactly. <laughs> I know that that's feeling. That's really it. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, do you want to tell the people all about where they can find your podcast and Mud79? Uh, uh, just do a search. Well, if you could follow me on uh, – the easiest way to find it is to follow me on Twitter or Instagram at fearless underscore Fred. I'm constantly posting about it there, so that's the easiest way to find it is to find me. Uh, if you go to my Instagram profile, I'm always posting like character art and stuff like that, and there is a link directly to the podcast, the very first episode, so that's the best way. Awesome. awesome, and we will do our fair share promotion as well. So thank you so much. Thank you, time. guys, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for the chat. We hope to have you soon so we can chat more Star Wars, sci-fi, and geek-isms. I hope to be there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And there you have it. Thank you so much, Fred. It was awesome to catch up with you, chat with you, expand on, you know, Mud79 with you. And I'm really, really looking forward to the next episode. Phil, what were your thoughts? How do you feel after that? Oh, it's just such a pure joy to talk with somebody like it said on our intro, you know, walks the walk and talks the talk. He he lives that life where he's actually, you know, creating things, creating things that he's passionate about, and it, it was just fascinating to get that insight into his whole process around Mud Seventy Nine and his comic books as well. Overall, like you know, to me he's legendary because I I just feel so close to him in that you know that relationship that that you have as a listener and just all the work that he does so and every week you know every two weeks and and you know i know he's had the breaks but listening to mud 79 and his narration of it is just very comforting too right so yeah i i thought it was great just yeah. a highlight my major takeaway was you know and now i understand this a little more i made this assumption about him but now i know it's for sure it and it's you know no holds barred everything is on the table with him and that's how you can really connect with your listeners. And that's kind of what we try to replicate here. You know, I know that sometimes our listeners say, hey, we don't know much about you. We would love to know more about you. But for me, it was more of a process. Like, you know, let's establish the show for the, what it is. And little by little, you're going to get to know a little bit about us. But the reality is, is that at least for me, you know, there's not much that's off the table, you know. So yeah. that's one thing I really appreciate about Fred. Um, and it's why kind of I always felt that I had that connection with him. Aside from the fact that, you know, I have chatted with him in the past. I've saw him in comic conventions. He worked with um, a buddy of mine who I went to elementary school with. So, you know, long story short, you know, I already did have that connection with him. But just, you know, over the years, him being on edge on Q107, um, listening to him every day, having that geekdom that we can relate to you know it was kind of different and that's kind of the hope i hope that we can have that relationship relationship with our listeners 
Sorry if I mispronounce things. I'm getting a weird echo in my earpiece, so (laughs) I try to live with it. Hey, and we broke some news tonight, courtesy of Fred, and that is Boys Season 3 is actually in production right now in Toronto. So let's not undersell that. But, uh, you know, all joking aside, um, it's great to see how much talent we have, and we talked about that in the interview. It's amazing to see how much talent we have in Canada. And, you know, we've had Jim Zub on. Uh, we, we just had Fearless Fred. You know, it, it's just so amazing to see these creative talents and how much they're a national treasure, you know, as far as I'm concerned, especially in these tough times, to have people that are able to get product out there and keep us entertained in our downtime while we all struggle with uh, coping with everything. Exactly. And, Phil, let our awesome listeners know how they can get a hold of us. Why certainly? Well, you can find us on the internet at our website is www.itscanonpodcast.com. And I'm just going to put in a personal note here. We have redesigned the website. So if you were there and you haven't been there in a while, it's an excellent spot to visit to not only message us, because you can email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com, but you can also just easily find the newest episodes there now. It's a very, very sleek and slender. Thank you, Boris, for all of your hard work there. Um, you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at It's Canon Podcast. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, really anywhere you find podcast apps. We're going to be there. And if we're not, let us know and we will fix it for you. Uh, if you like what you hear so far, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now and be sure to leave a rate and review for our show. We really appreciate it because without you guys, we ain't nothing. So thanks again. Yep. Thank you again. Thank you, Fred, for coming on the show and we're going to be sure to have you back on very soon. Um, I think that's it, Phil. I think we're good. This is the It's Canon podcast. He's Phil. I'm Boris. Thank you so much. Be safe. That's a wrap for another week.